Okay, let me uh, uh, begin with what is no doubt the most commonly asked question at this time of year. Uh, You probably know where I'm going already. How many times have you been asked this in the last week? So here's the most commonly asked question at this time of year. Have you done your Christmas shopping? You know what it's going to be. We're going to get cups of tea and coffee after the service, and there's going to be chit-chat, and you're going to be asked ten times, have you done your Christmas shopping? Okay, most obvious question. Have you done your Christmas shopping or not? So I'll I'll, I'll, I'll ask you that. Have you done it? Personally, I'm... uh, really in a bit of a dilemma. Um, I'm usually really disorganized, not this year. Uh, This year, secretly, I went and I got my wife a present for Christmas, got ahead of the game. I was proud of myself. Here is the dilemma. Catherine didn't know anything about this until now. But a couple of days ago, uh, she said to me, Andy, maybe we shouldn't do presents this year. So I'm, a, I'm facing a bit of a dilemma, but don't worry, I realize when a wife says to her husband, maybe, maybe we shouldn't do presents, I know it's a trap. I know straight away that I'm walking into a serious trap. So there's my dilemma. Even if you haven't done your Christmas shopping, you of course know, don't you, that giving is a big theme at this time of year. We've got presents coming in, hopefully. We've got presents going out. Even donations to charitable organizations, they go up at Christmas time, don't they? Here is a thought. What about God? As Christians, are we to give? And are we to give to God? And if so, what does that look like? What does that mean to give to God? What type of giving is it that God delights to see from from you and from me, from his people, giving to God, what does that look like? Well, this morning, as we continue in our sermon series in the book of Numbers, we come to a really important event. We know, I hope, that at this point the people have camped at Sinai and they have been constructing a tabernacle, haven't they, for God to dwell? Well, in this portion of scripture, not only is the tabernacle completed and Moses sets it apart, but what happens? Did you notice what happens throughout this portion of scripture? The covenant people come to God, to God's house, and they come bearing an abundance of gifts to give to him. So I don't want you to think like this. I don't want you to look at Numbers chapter 7 and think this is a very strange and weird archaic list. In fact, I want you to have this ringing in your ears. So this is what one reformator says about Numbers chapter 7. He says that what you have in front of you here is a pattern for our giving as well. So do you see the idea we learn here in number seven, something of how it is that you and I, as those in Christ, how we should be giving to God. So can I ask you what you already know I'm going to ask you? Can you turn to Numbers chapter 7? Can I ask you, please, if you've got a copy of Scripture, the church Bible, maybe it's on your phone, can you please turn to Numbers chapter 7? And have that portion of scripture open in front of you. We're going to look at a few things. First thing that we're going to consider is the strategy behind giving. Okay, the strategy behind giving is the first thing that I want you and I to consider here. Okay, now, if you just look at the page in front of you, maybe you can see it for yourself that there is something of a division around verses 11 and verse 12. 
Do you notice that for yourself? Do you see it? You've got one section that really runs verse 1 to 10, 1 to 11. And then you've got another section really from verse 12 to the end. So this is what I want to do under this heading just now. This is what I'm going to ask you to do with me here. I want you and I to consider the first section. So first 1 to 11. And what we're going to do is we're going to ask the who, the what, the why, and the how. Have I made myself clear there? Yeah? So we're looking just now in this first heading at the first section, verses 1 to 11. We're asking who, what, why, and how. Yeah? We're clear? Yeah, let's do that then. So what's the first question? Who are we dealing with? Right? Well, have a look. What, what would, how would you answer that? If you look at verse 1, who are we dealing with? You might say to me we're dealing with... Moses, right? So Moses is the guy who he sets up, sets apart the tabernacle and the altar and so forth. I'm not so much want to focus there. It's actually into verse 2 that I want you to notice. Do you see who we've got? We've got mention of these guys, the chiefs of Israel. Okay? So who are we dealing with, friends? The chiefs of Israel. Well, if you've been here for the uh, sermon series, uh-huh, and if you've got a good memory, maybe you can remember what happened in chapter 1. Can you? Do you remember that Moses counted nearly all of the people of Israel? Do you remember? There was that big census at the beginning of Numbers, all counting all the people who are ready and prepared for war. How did Moses do that? If you were here, do you remember? Did Moses go like one, two, three? No, he didn't do it himself. He enlisted help, didn't he? In fact, what he did, he asked for all of the leaders of the families of Israel, didn't he? The heads of the tribes to come forward. And you can see already in verse 2, these guys are back in the frame, right? So it's the chiefs of Israel, the heads of the family tribes that we are dealing with. That's important as we go on. That's the who. Okay, next question. What did they do? Look at verse 3. What does it say? So these guys, the heads, the chiefs, the priests, they, they come and they, they're bringing gifts to God. They're bringing offerings to the tabernacle. Can you see what they are? We've got six wagons. Okay, so that's the idea of a cart. So you've got either a two or a four-wheeled cart. Six of those. What else? Read on. You've got, on top of that, you've got 12 oxen. Everyone with me? We've got six carts, 12 oxen. Okay, that's the what. So the next question is why. So I'm turning this over to you, friends. Come on. Maybe it's really obvious. But why have the tribes brought carts and wagons and cattle and oxen to the tabernacle? What, 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 come on, what is it? Is that race? Be good, isn't it? You know, the tribes of Israel having a race with their carts. and their, Is that what it is? No. What about the cattle, the oxen? Is it a sacrifice for God? Is, are they going to be slaughtered? And Is that what it is? It's not. What do we know? We know that though the tabernacle was a, a sincere and a proper structure, we know that it was also a portable palace, a portable tent, don't we? That just as God does with you, Christian friends, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, God has promised these people that he is going to go with them. He's going to journey with them to the promised land. Do you see why they're bringing carts and wagons? And Do you see it? It's Eddie Stobart, isn't it? I mean, it's DHL, it's U-Haul. These are offerings to facility and help with and assist with the transportation of the tabernacle. We get it? 
So we've what? We've seen the who, the what, the why. But all of this is really leading to the last question to ask here. And that's this. How are these resources and these gifts, how are they used? Because I know we've got some visitors in this morning, right? We've got some visitors, but and it's, this might not apply to you, perhaps. But for those who have been here in recent weeks, so spotlight on you, you can remember, can you? You can remember how the tabernacle is to be transported. I mean, I know we're going back a few weeks, but you can remember what God has said to us. Do you remember? God has told us that there were three families in the tribe of Levi. Do you remember them? The Gershonites, the Merarites, and the Kohathites. And do you remember that God had given them special responsibility in taking and transporting the tabernacle? Do we remember? Do we remember that? Well, my question to you is really simple in a, in a, in a way, but in Numbers chapter 7, are those three families given the same resources in the transportation? Are they? Look, look with me at it. Look at verse 7. Please look at it. Like, first you've got the Gershonites. Maybe you remember. They were responsible for the medium weight stuff, the Gershonites, so the curtains in the tabernacle and the coverings of the tabernacle. Look at verse 7. What are they given? They're given two wagons. What do you think? That seems about right, doesn't it? That seems suitable. And then wait a minute, what about the Merorites? Do you remember from chapter 4? The Merorites, they were to carry the really, really heavy stuff. Like the pillar in the tabernacle and the bases of the tabernacle. Look at verse 8. What do they receive? Do you see it? They receive four wagons, more wagons, more... Again, it seems suitable. What about the Kohathites? Can you remember from chapter 4? What were, what were they to carry? The Kohathites, anyone? They were to carry the holy items, the altar... And what do they receive here? They receive nothing. Zip. Zilch. Why? Because they don't need it. The Kohathites are to carry themselves. They are to carry these things on their, on their shoulders. Friends, do you eat the point? Then unthinking distribution of resources. You with me? This isn't just ill-considered blanket giving. Here's a word for Numbers chapter 7. This is strategic. How closely did you pay attention to the reading? Did you get that at least three times God commands that the resources and the gifts be distributed according to service? Do you see what number seven is about? This is about giving distribution of resources and according to ministry needs. Now let me pause. There's a lot there. A lot of detail. Let me bring it into London City Presbyterian Church for a moment. Now, if we were to able to do this, what would we see? If we were to able to look back on how church giving has been done historically in the United Kingdom, what do you think we would see? What has church giving been like for the past 50 to 100 years in this country? Do you think it's fair maybe to say that a lot of giving, though not all of it, a lot of it is just habitual, routine, some of it unthinking. Now, you see the idea, don't you? Like, it's easy for us to slip into it. We just get into this practice of putting some money into a bag, or we set up a direct debit, and then we sit back. And then what happens? That money comes to a board somewhere in a church, and guess what they do? 
they also do what they've always done. It becomes routine and that money's distributed to the same types of ministries that have been supported by that church for 500 years. Now, listen to me, don't get me wrong. It's beautiful. I mean, it's, it's giving to the ministry and resources of the church is a beautiful thing. But do you not see the upshot if it's not thinking and if it's just formulaic? Do you see the upshot? It means that a lot of church giving is ineffective. And if you'll permit my grammatical mistakes, a lot of church giving can be unstrategic. Can't it? Some ministries get an abundance of resources, but the majority of gospel work in country, it struggles to get what it needs to get by. And I stand here and I need to say this to you and I need you to hear it. We today live in a time of financial crisis for gospel work in this country. Again, I want you to take that really seriously. Do you know that a lot of the gospel work that we are a part of and our denomination is a part of can only survive because Christians in other countries are supporting that work? We live in a time of great gospel need, but gospel resources are so thin on the ground. So do we not, as Christians, need to learn from Numbers chapter 7? Do we not need to be strategic? Do we not need to ensure that our resources are being distributed according to ministry needs? And uh, Do we not need to? And and you, you say maybe back to me, but what does that look like? There's a principle. We need to be strategic about these things and thoughtful. But practically, what does it look like? Well, I would, of course, say to you, yes, a huge amount of the application falls to the deacons of a church. Isn't that right? The men who are responsible for distributing funds. What do we want our deacons to be like as a church? Can I suggest this? We want them to follow after Moses in Numbers chapter 7. Isn't that right? To receive the gifts from the people of God, to listen to God's instructions, and then to distribute according to need. There's application for deacons, but there is application for you and for me. And I don't want this to seem or sound harsh, because it's not meant to be blunt or harsh in any way. But quite simply, do we, you and I, not to be, need to be more interested in how our resources are used? Do we not need, in a time like this, where there is so little gospel witness in our city or our country, do we not need to be more concerned? Do you and I not need to be praying for our own hearts, that we are right with God, that we are giving in a biblical way, in a true way? Do we not need to be praying for our deacons, that they might be wise? Do we not need just to ask them to inquire, how are our resources being used? Because I think, honestly, as the minister of this church, we want this. We want number seven. We want to get to a place where, like that, the ministry needs are being met and our resources are being distributed according to service. So we see here strategy. Strategy from God. Strategy behind giving. Secondly, we see the extent of giving. Okay, now I'm going to try and be really ambitious at this uh, point, but I don't think we've got an option. Okay, so in this second heading, uh, we are going to try to cover from verse 12 to the end of the chapter, which sounds okay until you see 
how many verses that is. Okay, so let's head. We're going to try and hit from verse 12 to verse, are we going to say it? Yes, we are. Verse 89. So if we're going to do this, and we're going to do it well and truly properly, I need you, I need you to appreciate how the type of giving changes dramatically. Now, I wonder if you noticed it yourselves, did you? So from verse 1 to 11, the people give to support the transport of the tabernacle. You got that? Transport. From verse 12 to the end, the people of God give to support the worship. Do you see the difference? They're giving to support the transport now. From verse 12 on, it's supporting the worship. In fact, just look. Look at verse 13. Let's, Let's just briefly look at it. You've got the chiefs are bringing. Do you see some of the stuff? It's plates and it's basins and it's dishes. It's oil for the grain offering. And then anyone who was paying attention to the reading must have noticed the focus on the altar. The altar being dedicated. So what has to happen? Look at verse 15. So you've got one leader after the other bringing bulls and rams and goats and lambs for the sacrifices. So everybody's with me, right? We've had these people support the transport. Now they're supporting the actual worship that goes on in the tabernacle. I think we have to call a spade a spade. This is one of the most difficult portions of scripture that I've had to preach at London City Presbyterian Church. And you can see why. There's a long list of ceremonial giving. And if you're visiting the church this morning, I really don't know what you're thinking, you know, like... You may be coming to church because it's Christmas, who knows, you know, and you're coming in, you're expecting John 1, right? Everyone, you know, in the beginning and then incarnation and you come to us and I don't know what, how weird you think we must be that we're in number seven today and it's complicated. You can imagine how much sleep I've lost this week wrestling with, or just try to read numbers at chapter seven. I do think there's just, a few things that I can throw out that help us to understand first 12, to understand how they're supporting the worship here. The brief, but you'll, you'll stick with me, right? So there's just three things. First thing I need you to notice is how lavish their support is. Because we've looked at verse 13, but have a look at it again. Because I said there was plates and bowls and stuff like that, didn't I? Did you notice? Now you think it through. Did you notice what it actually says? So each of these people, they're giving, what is it? Silver. Please. They finally crafted silver, please. And then in verse 14 says, is golden dishes. And we just pass over that, but you think about it. These are people living in tents. They're living in tents and they're living in a wilderness in Sinai. And, you know, you use words like refugees or whatever and an unsettled place. And what, what are they doing? They're bringing to the tabernacle. Support. They're bringing gold. They're bringing precious metal. So if you stop and you think about that for a moment, you're with me that it's elaborate giving. And it's an incredible, lavish, generous giving. But then... There's another thing. I want you to notice that it was also voluntary giving as well. And here I need help. I need you to help me, honestly. I need somebody in the room, at least, to point me to the verse in number seven where God instructs them on how to give like this. 
anyone point me to that verse where God commands them to give in this way? Because it's really elaborate and set out and organized. Can anyone do that? And of course, you can't do that. Because that verse doesn't exist. And again, I need you to process that and think about it and wonder at it. Nowhere in Numbers chapter 7 does God compel these people to give in such a marvelous and, and gracious way. Isn't that, isn't that something? This is voluntary. All of this organization, all of these incredibly sacrificial gifts is free will offering from the people. Isn't that marvelous? So it's lavish, isn't it? And it's, it's voluntary. The most critical detail is to notice how united this giving was. And here, I just want to speak to the boys and girls of the church. Okay, so the boys and girls, you pay attention. You'll want to pay attention to me for a moment or two. So if they're sleeping, just give them a little elbow. You can put your worksheets down. So boys and girls, it's Christmas time, or it's nearly Christmas time, right? So I'm feeling generous, and I've got sweets Okay, so you're not going to get the sweets now at the service, but afterwards you can get sweets from me if, if you can answer my question correctly. To be honest, I'm such a nice guy, I might even give you some sweets, but you'll get more sweets if you get the question right, okay? So hands up, no shouting out. You forfeit your sweets if you shout out. Ready? Simple question. It's a biblical question, obviously. Ready? What is the longest chapter in the Bible? Oh, Adam. What is it? Oh, tremendous. I was even going to give a whole set of clues. But Adam just knocks it out of the park first out. Psalm 119, right? Longest chapter in the Bible. But you're not with me here. Do you not recognize that what we've got in front of us is very, very, very close to Psalm 119 in length? This is in the top three or four longest portions of Scripture in the Bible. Now, we didn't read it all, but I'm asking you, do you see why it's so long? Do you see what happens in this portion of Scripture or not? Do you see that? If you look at verse 12... From verse 12, you've got each of the leaders of the tribes of Israel, and they come one by one, and they come on consecutive days, and they come all offering exactly the same gifts to God. Does everybody appreciate that? So from verse 12, you've got the leader of the tribe of Judah. Verse 18, you've got the leader of the tribe of Issachar. Verse 24, you've got the leader of the tribe of Judah. One by one by one by one. Now, you know what question I've been asking for most of this week? Probably the same question you've been asking. It is definitely the same question that Adrian was asking when I sent number seven through to be read. What's the question we're asking? We're asking, why, O oh God, do you see fit and good to record all of that detail? Right? Aren't you asking that? I mean, one of the longest portions of the Bible. You're like, why every detail? I mean, in a sense, there's so much redundant repetition. Why? In fact, if you look at verse 84, it almost becomes funny. It almost becomes humorous. 
Because you see from verse 84 to verse 88, you see what God does. He gives a summary section. Like he condenses it. You know, he says there was 12 guys, there was 12 days. And so you're just like, why then? Why didn't you just go with that? Like why, when Hebrew narrative is so often so succinct, why is it that God sees fit to... to, to detail every day, every bit of grain. Do you see the answer? It's so that for centuries, the church and this morning, the church would see how beautifully harmonious the people were in supporting the worship of God. It's so that today you and I would look at number seven, marvel at the detail and see just how united the people of God were. So we would see this beautiful picture of unity, harmony. Did you see it? There weren't some tribes you could not be bothered to give. There were not other tribes who were utterly dominating the giving. It is a beautiful picture in number seven. Beautiful. In fact, it's so beautiful and God is so clearly delighted with it. How does the chapter end? There's such unity, such harmony. God is so pleased. The chapter ends with God entering the tabernacle, speaking to his united people and speaking from above the mercy seat. You're with me. Isn't it lovely to see the unity and the harmony of the people of God? Now, of course, there is application for us as a church there, but I wonder what you think it's going to be. (laughs) What's the application? Is Is it... Is it your minister saying, we should all be, all of us giving, and we should all be doing it generously and voluntarily? Maybe. I want you, surely, Christian friend, to appreciate how much bigger it is. Like, think about where we stand in redemption history. Like, you consider what you know, Christian friend, this side of Calvary Hill I mean, what are the sacrifices that you and I are supposed to bring to God? Is it bulls and rams and goats and lambs? It's not what Hebrews 13 say to you. Today we're supposed to be offering up sacrifices of praise to our God of love. What does Romans 12 say to you? What are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to offer? Us, everything that we are, living sacrifices to God. And so surely more than this being a beautiful picture that we look at and then look away, surely much more than that, this is challenging for our congregation. Isn't it inspiring that as we move ever closer to New Year, am I not right in thinking that this is what London City Presbyterian Church should be? Isn't that right? Can you imagine it for a moment? All of us in Christ Jesus, all of us harmonious, all of us in unity, all of us seeking to worship the one true and living God. And yes, to do that with our finances, yeah, of course, but more than that, seeking to worship God with everything, everything that we do, everything that we have, seeking to worship God, everything that we are, and seeking to do that together, like the people of God involved. So we see, we see the strategy behind giving. We see the extent of the giving. And then the last point, the last heading is the reason for the giving. Do you, do you think it's a bit strange that we've got a third point? Because we've run out of text. 
haven't we? First heading, we looked at verse 1 to 11. The second heading, we looked at verse 12 to the end. Do you think it's a bit weird, a bit strange that we've got a third heading? What I want you to do here, just as we close, I want you to consider the actual positioning of Numbers chapter 7. So I want you to consider and think through where Numbers 7, where it sits. So you may not have picked this up, but it's very important to know. Chronologically, Numbers chapter 7 does not belong here. Everyone hear that? Everyone get it? So chronologically, this dedication of the tabernacle, it took place a month before, one month exactly, one month before everything else that we've read in the book of Numbers. Chronologically, it doesn't belong here. Now you see the question that we have to ask of God, don't you? If this isn't chronologically fitting, why is it that God decides to put number seven here? Right? Like, why doesn't he put it in Leviticus in a sense where it belongs, if you like? Why doesn't God begin the book of Numbers like this? Why does God see fit? What is God trying to tell you by putting Numbers chapter 7 here? You want to know what I think the answer is? I think here God is trying to show you and show me the motivation the people had to give. He's trying to underline for you why these people give, what their heart was like in giving. See, work with me for a moment. Where exactly is number seven? Work with me. What event does number seven follow on from? Were you here last week? What did we consider last week? Just look back at the end of number six if you can't remember. The ironic blessing for these ironic blessing not ironic blessing pete for god has declared what the lord bless and keep you the lord make his face to shine upon you the lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace do you see what god is doing by placing this here god is showing you that these people were not giving to warrant blessing these people were not giving in order to manipulate God. These people were not giving to try and twist God so that he might act in their favor. No, this portion of scripture comes after number six. It comes after the words, I will surely bless you. These people are giving not to twist God, but they are giving out of gratitude for their grace. Gratitude for his undeserved favor. And again, we have to apply that. We have to pull that into the room here just now, but I just want to do it by noting the fact that, of course, we have visitors today. That we have people at this time of year who usually come to London City Presbyterian Church. You just come because it's Christmas and you're welcome and it's beautiful. But the reality is I know that I'm speaking to some people in here who might not be born again in Christ and trusting in the Lord Jesus. I really want you to understand that though we're talking about giving, we don't want your money. Every time that I preach on giving, I want you to, to hear that very clearly. If you're not a Christian, you're not part of this congregation, we are just, we keep money. We don't want your money. But if you are not born again, I, I do want to ask you, when you look at us as Christians, why do you think that we give? Like when we, like you saw there was a bag. Did you see the bag was put around where we're singing? Why, why would we give? Why do we set up direct debits? 
Why do Christians give? What do you think it is? Do you think they were trying to get God to do stuff for us? Is that what you think? Or, you know, these American evangelists, we'll call them, in their swanky suits and their great hair or whatever it is, you know, and, and they've got a big church and multi-site stuff and uh, the great teeth and the whole shebang. And Do you think that's what this is? Like a prosperity idea that we put in seed money into a bag in the hope that God will kind of prosper us materially? Do you think that's why Christians in here give? It is not why we give. And I want you to understand it from Numbers chapter 7. Why do we give, friends? We give to God of everything that we are and everything we have. Why? Because we are grateful to him. Isn't that right, Christian friends? We are grateful to God for the grace that he has poured out on us. His saving grace. And maybe if you're not a Christian, you look at me and you say, but, but what has God done to make it so special? What has he done? Well, yes, at this time of year, we remember, don't we, that God has walked amongst us. In the person of his son, God has come amongst us. But what was that like? I mean, think of it. I mean, was number seven replicated when God, the God-man, is in the temple in Jerusalem? Do all the tribes fall before God and pour out all their gifts and all their praise and the rejoicing? God is amongst us. Is that what happened? No, listen, God was stripped. God, God, man, beaten and battered and tortured. And where does it culminate? Why did God come amongst us so that all of the details of number seven would be entirely and perfectly fulfilled? And you understand that, don't you? That there at the cross, what happened? There at the cross, a mediator greater than Moses we see. There at the cross, an altar... Not of bronze, but of flesh and blood is in action. And there at the cross, a sacrifice not of temporary, but of eternal worth. A sacrifice is offered up. You say to the church, why are you so grateful to God? Do you not see atonement? Atonement has been made for all of our sin. And so I end with Two exhortations. First to the Christians in here. Christian friend, this festive season, whatever is going on in your life, please, I urge you, refocus yourself through the means of grace on the Lord Jesus Christ and the goodness of the gospel. You must look at number seven now in your light. You not look at it and you think, what has been done for us? It's all been done. We have eternal life. We have salvation. You look at number seven and you can see what lies ahead of you. One day that will be ours. Like one day we will be in the heavenly tabernacle. One day we will enjoy unity with people from all tribes. And one day we will revel in the continuous worship of the sacrificed one. Do you see it? We must refocus on the good news of Christ. But then the second verse of exhortation to you. If you are not born again, not believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, it may sound the same. It is not this festive season, will you not consider Christ for yourself? Like in amongst all those materialistic urges that happen right through Christmas, we're all going to have it, right? Through every card you receive, every gift you give, will you not consider what God has done for his people? You know what it is, don't you? You all know what it is. For God so loved the world, what did he do? He, he gave 
He gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life this Christmas. If you're not a Christian, consider the grace of God. Bow, come in repentance and faith to the Lord Jesus Christ and receive from Jesus the everlasting life that only he can give. Friends, let's bow our heads together and let's pray. Gracious Father, we we thank you that though it is a long and complex portion of Scripture, we thank you, Lord God, that there is much you have to teach us from Numbers chapter 7. We are grateful that you did not just give us a summary and uh, a summary section. We are grateful that you have given all the detail that it pours forth the message that we are to be united in the support of the worship of the one true and living God. But we do thank you that smack bang in the center of number seven is the altar, that bronze altar. And we are grateful for where it points. We praise you, Lord God, for the work of Calvary. Or would you hear our prayers as we worship you? And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.